welcome to the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast, as always, presented by the Iowa Clinic during our coverage here in Orlando. Joined now on the podcast by Dylan Montz from the Ames Tribune and Alex Halstead from 247. What's up, guys? It's good to be with you, Jared, in warm Florida. It's been it's been kind of chilly the last couple of days, but now we get a nice balmy one. Yeah, we got gifts from Jared. <laughs> gifts on this podcast. So, hey, anytime you come on the Cycle Fanatic podcast, okay, maybe not anytime. If it's like you know ten o'clock on a Monday, I might not give you a beer. But if it's three o'clock on a on Christmas Day in Orlando, I don't know how we can do a podcast and not drink beer. I, f- I feel like that's just a given. But uh, obviously, we've been here covering Iowa State over the last couple of days. Talked to Notre Dame's co- uh, coach Brian Kelly, as well as uh, Jalen Elliott, the safety for the Fighting Irish yesterday. I mean, I think that there hasn't really even been that much conversation about the game, like from on the Iowa State side of things. I mean, it's a lot more just like, you know, how are the young guys doing, or like how uh, how you know how how have you guys been able to heal up and stuff like that? How can you use this game moving forward? But I think this game is just really interesting when you look at it from a schematic perspective. You know, Brian Kelly talked yesterday about how they haven't seen many defenses like what Iowa State does, and then. I think John Haycock said something kind of similar even about Irish or about Notre Dame today, just the balance that, that the Fighting Irish have. Uh, but it just kind of has reinforced in my mind how good this game could be. Yeah, and a lot of the conversation with Iowa State has been about the opportunity that it presents. Obviously, there's a lot of visibility. It's one of four games on the 28th, so uh, there's there's a chance that a lot of people are going to watch it. But when you actually break down the X's and O's and look at what it could be, it, it is interesting. Obviously, a lot of attention's gone on Ian Book, Notre Dame's quarterback, his escapability, his dual threat ability, and and how he can burn you in multiple ways. Uh, the line of scrimmage is going to be a big big part of this game too, on both sides of the ball for Iowa State. Um, how do they handle the the big front that Notre Dame presents with the four man stuff, or um, you know, with Notre Dame's offensive line? How does Iowa State um, tinker with its mm-hmm. defense a little bit? Because as you mentioned, Brian Kelly said it was a little bit different than what they'd seen maybe playing the ACC games they play or the independent schedule that they play. But uh, a, a lot of fascinating unknowns, uh, I think, about this, and, and that's what makes the matchup really fun, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think like Jared mentioned that it is interesting because there's like a kind of a key matchup on each side of the ball. You know, for Iowa State, that offensive line versus Notre Dame's defensive line. Iowa State's offensive line, I think, is number 10 nationally in fewest sacks allowed per game. Notre Dame's defensive line is number 30 in, you know, averaging two and a half sacks a game. So, how do they go against that? We talked to Tom Manning right before we left, and he had mentioned that pretty much all their you know, opposing teams this year have played three-man fronts. And so they've had to spend this month trying to get used to a four-man front. And so uh, we haven't really talked about Julian Good-Jones, but depending on what happens there, you might be shuffling things right. against a new look and one of the better pass rushing, you know, defensive lines of the country. And then like you mentioned at the top, that three-three-five defense, how can they try to confuse Ian Book? Because I think that's probably the biggest key is if they can kind of make him uncomfortable. Do they drop seven or eight? Does Haycock, with a full month to prepare, bring safety blitzes or linebacker blitzes? I think that's that's what's going to be most interesting, you know, on each side of the ball. Right. And I think, you know, I think that this is a good test for the Iowa State defense, too, because when you think about the last time that they were on the field against Kansas State, I mean, they got gashed pretty good, you know, by the Kansas State rushing attack. And Notre Dame, you know, they're not anything to write home about what they can do running the ball. I think they're 46 or 48th nationally in rushing. And, you know, they're right in the they're like right in the middle of the pack in both passing and rushing, but the balance is what makes them, I think, really dangerous. And um, 
that's where I'm, I'm interested to see what Iowa State does defensively because I think Kansas State maybe exposed some schematic things about what Iowa State does where it creates some openings, just natural openings with their three-man front and the way they align those guys. That is – you mentioned the blitzes, though. Like, that's something that I feel like – Last year, really, we saw a lot more of where they would send those delayed safety blitzes. You'd see Mike Rose and Willie Harvey coming on blitzes a lot more often than maybe we did this season. And, I, you know, I think that that's probably something like for after the season to ask Coach Haycock more why they didn't do that as much. Uh, probably maybe not as much confidence in the guys on the back end of that secondary. But I would think that when you've got this much time to prepare and when you know that Notre Dame is going to have the film of that Kansas State game and see the way Kansas State was able to attack Iowa State in that game, then I feel like you've got to be willing to get a little bit exotic not crazy exotic, but like do something a little bit different just to keep some people on their toes. That's why I think a guy like Greg Eisworth, we talked about him a lot this season. I'm sure you guys have too um, in what you've written and on the podcast and stuff, but him being banged up, missing time here and there, them having to plug holes in the back end, it does change a little bit of what the identity is. And they like what they've got at corner with Anthony Johnson and Tavon Kyle, but both of those guys are still young. Last year you had Brian Peavy at corner. You, you knew you could trust him. DeAndre Payne was back there at safety so there were a lot of guys that you felt comfortable with um, I guess just being a little bit more exotic showing a little bit more aggressiveness at the point of attack but uh, and that's kind of the thing with the matchup too is uh, the one way that Iowa State's defense or one of maybe two ways Iowa State's defense has been vulnerable is with the quarterback run right. and so what kinds of contain uh, alignments do you have guys are going to have to just be sound in, in the pursuit of the ball and, and bringing guys down not missing tackles um, otherwise it can be a long day and they can make you pay in, in that way and not just with their running backs because he you don't necessarily know what he's going to do when he drops back well at the end of the day too it, it's kind of weird because there have been games I mean you think back to that Texas game that Iowa State played where you know, I think of going into the season, if I looked at the teams where the quarterback and his running ability, I mean, outside of Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts was an obvious one, but uh, Sam Ellinger, the way that he can run the ball and the way Texas employs him in the run game, running the quarterback power. I mean, they held him to what, like 17 yards rushing or something like that? A couple that. key short yardage stops that he yeah. would think he would get. And then you, if you can, like they proved that they can do it, but... It's, at the same time, it was so inconsistent. I mean, Kansas State just gashed them on that stuff. I mean, what was it in the fourth quarter? Kansas State ran 17 plays. Every single one of them was a run. Yeah. And and that's what, to me, like Iowa State's going to have to be better in that scenario because you know that Notre Dame has seen that. They know what the, you know, they're, they're going to be able to pick up on some of those weaknesses that this Iowa State defense has. Yeah, that's what I'm interested to see is because when you heard from Campbell after the Kansas State game, he basically said Iowa State just got out toughed in that game. And does Notre Dame from the beginning tried to establish that run and do the same thing to them? It's, that's what's going to be interesting is is those line of scrimmage battles. And Haycock told us today after practice that – or before practice that schematically Notre Dame's so unique and they try to throw so many different schemes at you that they almost can confuse you. But he said they got to stick to their defense but maybe do some things a little bit different than they've done and he said through two years of running this 3-3-5 they know what they can and can't do but that's what I'm really interested to see is how does someone like him with this time game plan that because maybe he does some unique stuff like you said we're so used to I think over the last year seeing them blitz you know the two games that stand out were uh, for sure West Virginia game last year where right. they sacked Will Greer five six times and yeah. then also the Oklahoma State game I think when Brock Purdy made his debut I thought they got some pressure on uh, I can't remember who that quarterback was for uh, uh, Taylor, Taylor Cornelius yeah Taylor Cornelius yeah. 
alias. Yeah. And it seemed like they got pressure. How could you him. forget about Taylor <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we haven't seen that this year. We haven't, we haven't seen the pressure. The pressure hasn't come from the the D line, other than Will right. McDonald, who's had a couple sacks in a couple of those last three games. So, what kind of role can Will McDonald play in getting pressure? And uh, if they can get pressure on Book, I think that's kind of where it starts defensively. Or do they drop seven or eight and try to? you know, put guys into zones and make him make mistakes. That's what I'm interested to see what Haycock does. That's something that I think, again, after the season, like I think we'll look back at it. And the Iowa State defensive line, to me, was probably one of the bigger disappointments of the season. And not that they were bad, but just, I mean, we came into this season expecting them to be like one of the best defensive lines in the country. And I don't think we really ever saw that from them outside of maybe a couple games. And obviously losing Jaquan Bailey hurts in that sense. I mean, he's, you know, tied to be the all-time leader in sacks at Iowa State. But that was just something to me that now when you think about it, it's like, man, that that group really just kind of underperformed the entire season. And I think that'll be good for them next year where, you know, to get Latrell Bankston, who's a guy who I think is explosive in the middle of that defense, maybe a little bit different than Ray Lima, where Ray Lima is just a solid guy. You're not going to be able to move him. Like Latrell's a dude who puts up numbers. His, his numbers at junior college level are crazy. That was the thing, like you said, with the defensive line. I almost feel like they were better – run defense that I, defensive line than I thought but they didn't really get the pressure that I yeah. kind of anticipated and so like you saw them at times that Texas game was a good example of limiting the run even Oklahoma State you know Hubbard outside of one like 50 60 yard run they limited him and it seemed yeah. like they were good in run defense but at times they just didn't force quarterbacks out of the pocket or, you can't move them but you they're not going to move you yeah like, I think it was we saw, also we saw from the beginning of the season Will McIlvain you and I how many times did he escape sacks yeah. just like they couldn't connect on the sacks and you know they returned most of that line other than Ray Lima and Jamal Johnson and you're right with Banks and those two guys are almost like the immovable run stoppers Bankston's a guy that had like 11 12 sacks and Juco as a Juco All-American and so I'm interested to see how much they switch switch that line this offseason do they I don't think they'll go to a four-man front but yeah. it gives them more opportunities because he's a different type of defensive tackle well and that's what's kind of funny about college football too it feels like it's so cyclical where you know every once in a while there will be some sort of innovation whether it's on right. offense or defense and it'll just be it'll feel like it's light years ahead and you can do all sorts of these things against um, high-powered offenses and then slowly people catch up a little bit and they figure out pieces of it um, and, and that's not to say that the system's broken. I think they've been fine defensively for most stretches, but it's just, um, I think there have been a few pieces that some of these offensive coaches in the Big 12 have been to been able to kind of scheme around a little bit, and so that's what, back to Alex's point, is what does Haycock now with a month do to kind of really dive in on Notre Dame deep and, and find new wrinkles to what their base set already is? Because at this point, you're not going to change wholesale what you do defensively, but you can find new ways to, to use the personnel and and reconfigure a few things about um, what you've got. Well, it is crazy. Like when when Iowa State first really started playing this defense, I mean, it's been two and a half. I mean, two and a half seasons ago, basically. At that time, we you've hardly ever seen anything like that, you know. And now half the teams in the Big Twelve run it. Yeah, Clemson's going to run it. You yeah. know, this weekend in the college football playoff. It's like yeah, it's it, crazy. It's everybody runs that all over college football now, and so. You know, what does Iowa State do to kind of stay ahead of the curve to continue adapting with that? I mean, I, I think I trust that this coaching staff will be able to do that. But uh, shifting gears in 
I think we've talked a lot about Ian Book and those guys, but and I think that's mainly because they're the more notable names for Notre Dame. But this defense is good. You know, you talk about the the sacks. Um, I think they're top 15 in scoring defense nationally, which those things can kind of be somewhat misleading when you think about pace and then obviously the schedule that they play. They've had some teams they've played that have allowed them, I think, to pad the numbers a little bit. But uh, – I mean, this is – you know that Notre Dame's always going to have a good defense, I think, when you think about Notre Dame under Chip Kelly. And I'm, I'm interested to see – now I think Brock Purdy was not healthy for a lot of the – a lot of the regular season. I don't know when it really was that that kind of happened. I think maybe it was a TCU game or right after the TCU game. But you saw the quarterback run basically get completely eliminated from Iowa State's game plan. I think that's something that they've got to be able to utilize if they're going to maximize what they can do as an offense. Yeah, I think they, especially, I think, to try to neutralize that defensive line. If, if they're running a little bit, it keeps them honest with playing the run against Brees Hall and maybe sets up some other stuff in the in the passing game. That's That'll be interesting to see, yeah, because we've heard continue, continuously from when we talked to Matt Campbell after the bull selection at the beginning of the month to now talking to Campbell, now talking to Haycock, everyone kind of brings up this – they were banged up and I think they were a lot more injured not just Purdy but maybe even like a guy like Charlie Kohler and we knew about Eisworth all season because he's missing time but I think they had a lot of guys that were hurt and maybe even offensively than we ever know because unless they're like really hurt Matt Campbell's not going to tell us so I think I think this month health wise that's a lot bigger story than maybe we even realized because I think they were pretty banged up well Deshante Jones at the end of the regular season too he only had two targets in that last game I I don't think he was healthy yeah I I do think that probably wasn't a big enough talking point maybe with us than that it should have been because there were well the unfortunate thing is that we can ask but unless it's a bone related surgery we're never going to know bone related lower leg bone related (laughs) next question yeah, the only ones we really find out about are if Dylan Sainer is getting carted off the field because then it's yeah. so obvious that something happened. But otherwise, like Campbell, when, when they got here, he said Julian Jones is banged up and we said, you know, what what was it? What happened in the Kansas State game? He said, didn't really want to get into detail. Like, they don't like getting into detail. I understand it. Through, I think through, that one might be there could be more layers <laughs> yeah. to that than just the banged yeah. up don't yeah. want to get into it. So <laughs> that's been one of the things we've been trying to figure out this week. I, there, there are a lot of complexities to that. Um, as of right now, we know he's been at practice. He was working yeah. out a little bit ahead of the team before practices. He was with the first group for a couple snaps, I guess, in the practices that we got to see. But um, I don't know. Alex and I have talked about it, too. It's just it's going to be one of those things. I guess we'll have to wait and see on Saturday how they roll with that, because we saw a lot of different looks with the offensive line. We saw Josh Kniffel at left tackle the other day, and we saw uh, Colin Newell at right guard. So there's they've been working with a few different combinations which on the surface seems odd, um, you know, if everybody's good to go. Well, and that's, that's what's funny is that we saw that right at the beginning of practice on Tuesday, and then we get there today on Wednesday, and Julian's out there with that first group for at least for the time that we were out there. It, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, now I feel they know like we're out there. Right, they, they know we're on to them, the fact that we put it out there, that they weren't – he wasn't out there with that top group. Now they're like, oh, crap, we got we to gotta throw him out there at least while these guys are here. Uh, but, no, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, I think it should be a, a fun one and a good lead into the college football playoff. I know – I know Randy's joked a little bit, three touchdowns and stuff like that. Just, I think, and, you know, throw away, just like, like I said, I think he was joking, but uh, I, I really think the line is in a good spot in this game at three and a half. Yeah, I heard, uh, I listened to the to uh, the Bear 
you know, from obviously college game day. And he, he loves Iowa yeah, State. Yeah, he picked Iowa State to cover the three and a half because he said you, you look at the season, they've lost two one-point games. They've lost a two-point game. They've lost on a pick six. They really don't get blown out. I mean, we were talking the other day. The last time they've, you know, they lost to Kansas State by 10. The last time they lost by 14 points was uh, to Texas last year. But they haven't, over the last two years, been beaten by more than two scores. Mm-hmm. And so even when they lose, they're sticking in games. And I think that's kind of... You know, the reason I think it, this will probably be a close game in the three and a half line, it's tough because you're basically picking do they do they upset Notre Dame or lose by a field goal? Yeah. And if they lose by three points, which is what uh, SP Plus is projecting, I think they're projecting Iowa State to lose like 28 to 25. It'll just be like another heartbreaker to go in the, <laughs> in the line of the other handful this season. Yeah, that's what's kind of funny about their style of play is that a seven-point loss to Oklahoma State or a 10-point loss to Kansas State feels like losing by 21 points just because of the the way they've kind of built the team over the last couple of years where you do play these. I and mean, you know who it's like. It's like yeah. it's like Iowa. Yeah. It's almost exactly like Iowa. So I think that's it's it's interesting, you know, kind of how you have to build programs in the Midwest, yeah. especially in this state. Um, but that's why I think it's it's going to be close. And Notre Dame is explosive. They have a lot of weapons. They're big up front. But um, Iowa State has the talent. They have the makeup. Even if guys are getting switched around, I think to to give themselves a chance. And I think that's kind of what you want in a game like this. You want to be in it um, late on and and see what happens. Yeah, I think they have to play clean. I yeah. mean, they've not played they a fully play complete game. Yeah. They've won the turnover mar- margin at times this year, I think, against Kansas State. And they're they're now starting to the point where they're winning the turnover margin and, and losing games. And that used to be the, the indicator for Cable is when they win the turnover margin, they win. And I think that's kind of what he's talking about. They've got to clean some things up. But if they play a clean game, I think they're capable of competing with Notre Dame. For sure. All right, so I took some questions on Twitter. And obviously, it's Christmas Day. I didn't really specify what kind of questions I wanted, whether I wanted to be footballers. Kind of a mix of some footballers, a little bit of basketball even. That's a, either a mistake or it's going to be really exciting yeah. to see what these are that you didn't specify. Uh, all right, so Connor Ferguson, Cycling Flag intern Connor Ferguson, he wants to know what we got for Randy for Christmas. Uh, I think that, and I was thinking about this on my way over here, I think what we got Randy was some peace and quiet last night when we, where we left him alone. Yeah, I think we, so. yeah we went to Uncut Gems, maybe some of the first people in the United States uh, to see it. And uh, yeah, Randy hung back and got yeah. some got some work done. He's always working. So yeah, it, it's been a Christmas tradition the last few years to spend it with Randy. But every once in a while, he, he needs to get his own space. And I right. appreciate it, understand it. And we'll reconvene at, at some other point. Yeah, I think we're going to meet up for Christmas dinner. So are we going to Chinese? We, he had nice? Chinese yesterday. So oh, okay. He, I don't want Chinese. So, so. Since he had Chinese yesterday, that probably means we'll have pizza today. Well, I was I I was looking it up. We could uh, go to Disney Springs and go watch the basketball at the NBA mm. at the NBA restaurant. Oh, there so, you go. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. See, I, I'm out here playing <laughs> stuff for us guys. <laughs> so that, that Brent Bloom was tweeting today's the day. Just sit around and watch the NBA. So yeah, exactly. I'm missing the Sixers game right now, so you know this is an important podcast. But you get them Friday. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So this this comes from Lee. Um, he asks in 20 years which Hoiberg to Prome era player will have the best and longest NBA career he says his guess for best is Monte and then Halberton has the longest Prome I think so that Monte will have the longest but I think Halberton will have the highest ceiling like where he I think Tyrese could be a, a all-star at some point in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you look back and Hoiberg had a 10-year NBA career, and I'm trying to think of the type of player that can be that, that kind of journeyman who 
Hoiberg always seemed to find a role when he was with the T-Wolves or whoever it was. And that's Monte. For and that sure. seems like yeah. Monte because yeah. he's a perfect backup point guard in the NBA. That's what Fran Fischel has always said. And you look at last year, he uh, won or played all 82 games. He's on pace, I think, do the same this year. And maybe eventually he becomes a starter. But he's even even if he becomes a starter for a section of years and then goes back to being that role player, it feels like the way he plays, his game is not based off – necessarily having to be athleticism or right. scoring. It's based off his IQ and stuff. And so it seems like that's something I can carry for the longest and best player. Yeah, I think that's maybe where your Tyrese suggestion might come into play because he is like Monte, but he's 6'5". Yeah. So I think that gives you a little bit higher of a ceiling, just the size and, um, you know, if, if he can shoot it consistently, if he ever um, has has that, I guess, DNA in, in him to, you know, look to shoot a little bit more often, then I think um, that that changes the complexion of it too. George Condit will be an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Holmes really high on him. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Monte is going to be coming to an interesting crossroads, I think here at the end of this season, because his contract with the Nuggets is up and they're, they're, I think the Nuggets too are going to be at an interesting point because he's a very valuable piece of that team. But, there's going to be some really bad NBA team that you know will pay him a lot of money to come and be their starting point guard. So it's like, does does he want to be the backup point guard? And he will get paid well. Like He'd probably be the highest paid backup point guard in the NBA. But like at the same time, then you've got to kind of weigh, okay, well, I could go and be a starter. So that's why I think it'll be interesting for him is it's like, what does he at the end of the day, like how does he end up going about that? Yeah, that was a storyline going into the years. This is his contract year. And when's the last Iowa State basketball player that you were talking about Going into a potential free agency and signing a legitimate, I mean, he could sign. He could sign. Like, I mean, it would depend on the length of the deal, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he makes close to ten million a year. Yeah, and I can't think of the last Iowa State player that signed that kind of NBA contract. That's been like. Has there ever been one? I don't know. I mean, because like Hoiberg was probably signing longer deals, but they weren't with a lot of money. Jeff Hornacek, obviously. Same thing as Hoiberg in terms of length, I think, but I don't think they yeah. ever were signing these kind of mega deals. And it's not a mega deal, like, but for an Iowa State player in recent memory, that's a pretty yeah. big deal. Yeah, like Jamal Tinsley, I don't think. Uh, Tinsley would be one. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'd be in that neighborhood, but yeah, I, it, it would be a huge deal for him. And um, certainly the position he plays and the way he plays it adds right. a lot of value. Right. To something. And that adds to the potential for him to have a lengthy career. Once you start paying a guy that kind of money, you're probably going to go through the ups and downs. Of well, that. he's got a game that will translate over to aging. Right. You know, yeah. it's not like it's built on explosiveness. Like Deontay Burton, for the most part, his game is built on explosiveness. Not that Deontay's not a really good player skill-wise, but most of what he does is off of being – I mean, able freak to, athlete. being a freak athlete, being able to throw down dunks in Timberlands, you know. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, did you guys see Tyrese is up to number four on ESPN? Yeah, just keep yeah, top one hundred. That's crazy. He, he what be was like he coming in the, into the season? I, I want to say like twenties. Uh, yeah, and then he got up to ten, and now he's. Uh, I mean. He's like in conversation to be number one pick at this point. It's going to be interesting. I think everybody almost consensusly, whether you look at uh, Sam Vecini from The Athletic or ESPN, kind of the main people who put these mocks together. Almost Sam all. doesn't really like Tyrese, so or he like well, he's, he's kind he's of like, torn on him. Yeah, I think he's the one that wrote about like he's kind of like this analytical guy, and it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow because do teams go with kind of 
what they've always known, or do they go with the analytics? But he's got him maybe I think number eleven last I saw. Yeah. So like basically everyone has him as a lottery pick. And That's crazy. It, there was a point where people were like, is he gonna? He's gonna have a decision to make. If you're there's no decision now it's like, to make. Now it's like there's yeah. no decision. I don't think it, if it, he, if those people are right. And other than James Wiseman who just left Memphis, I don't know if who, who else is even really in that kind of conversation. Uh, Lamella Ball, Cole Anthony, yeah, Cole, Cole Anthony and Lamella Ball are the other ones that have. So seen. those three are probably fighting. Lamelo's, I, I think Lamelo's balling out down in Australia. Yeah, from so what I understand. You got him, Cole Anthony. Will obviously be interesting to continue to watch, and then Wiseman. We only get to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's that's too bad for college basketball. But I mean, it. I can't blame him. Saved the way things have gone. Saved himself eleven thousand dollars. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, all right, this comes from Chris Miller. Which freshman? That we haven't seen due to redshirt this year. Will we see make some plays on Saturday? Saturday. Man, I feel like this is a tough one. If I had <sighs> Saturday. People have speculated if they'll give Jairo Brockany run with a full month. It's hard to say. He's got one game left. He's played three games this year. He can play four in redshirt. Yeah. So he's got one more game left. Has Blake um, Peterson played in? Played Blake Peterson match? hasn't. The other guys that Campbell mentioned recently to us that are playing really well. Um, he said last week, Ashim Young's playing well, really well. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in this conversation to be that third safety starter next year but yeah. they don't really need maybe a safety Saturday. No. Uh, Darian Porter he mentioned to us but do, they put him out what, there at receiver. Right, or, receiver. Like, um, the only time we've Eric, seen him was they put him back to return to kick, kick one play. time. Yeah. Eric Horn is the only other true freshman that's appeared in the game. That's the same thing Louisiana Monroe. So And then Corey Suttle. Was Corey Suttle has been mentioned. mentioned but when you talk about the guys Campbell mentioned Jairo Brock and Darian Porter are the only skill position guys. And even then like if they put him out there the odds that they make a play, they I think, plays. would be slim. I mean, Shim Young, I think, is inching towards stuff, but he was he he arrived today at practice on the early bus, you know, for the freshman kind of workouts that it looked like. So I just don't see that happening. So it's hard for me to see some freshmen just stepping in. But those are the names that we've heard that when we get to spring ball, people should probably pay attention to. I feel like that hasn't that rule hasn't worked out in that sense the same way. Like they, I mean, when you're and we just talked about when you're in Iowa, Iowa State where you don't blow people out. Like these guys aren't going to get that many opportunities to play. Well, like, yeah, because like the only time we've seen him is Louisiana Monroe. But I think like going into the year, it's like okay, Riel Mitchell. What games does he get to play? And this isn't the redshirt rule, but we're thinking okay, what games does he have an opportunity so we can see him? We're thinking you and I. Someone asked me about Riel, so we yeah. can we can okay, keep that one perfect. going. No, that's what I'm saying. Well, we we yeah, just so we were thinking like okay, that. we'll see him maybe you and I, Louisiana Monroe, Kansas. Well, you and I, they had the dog fight with Kansas. They were kind of never in a position to go to their backups, and so it's like. Even this year and last year, Drake game, like we don't get to see these guys like Real Mitchell like we think we're going to. And so we we got the one glimpse of Real, but we're still kind of in the yeah. territory of what is he going to do here at Iowa State. He was out there running receiver routes today. At yeah, practice, and that's so. the first time we saw him last year was the Alamo Bullies, t- two plays in motion. They didn't use him, but he's kind of that decoy out there. Man, that'll be... That'll be like eggplant emoji for Iowa State fans if they put Real at receiver. And he runs like a real route, not just runs a screen or something. Yeah. Maybe it'll start opening things up for 2020. <laughs> I think that he's going to come to a... He's got He's coming to the point where he's got to make a decision. I was going to say, he's going to come to a weird crossroads because, like, I mean, he could wait it out all the way until Brock is gone, which, I mean, at this point, I'd, maybe you know, after next year. Randy wrote, like, maybe that could be after next year. I get that. But... Uh, I mean, you're bringing in Aiden Bauman and uh, and Hunter Deckers too, who are both, I think, going to be really good players. So. Yeah, that's the that's I've, somebody said this before. Maybe it's Matt Campbell. The good thing about recruiting 
you know, when you have a starting quarterback is it makes it a little bit easier. You know what your identity is, but that's also the hard thing is when you have a young kid who starts at quarterback, it makes it a little bit harder because it can scare guys off. But if you find guys that are are willing to compete or, you know, can get on different track levels, like Real coming at the same time as Purdy and Purdy having that ascent um, obviously makes it harder when there's only one position. Like if you're a wide receiver, there's three or four that you can throw out there at a time. You can still find ways to get on the field. But if you're just the quarterback, it, it makes it a, a lot tougher but um, yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how they um, reconfigure reposition that quarterback room with those two young guys coming yeah. in and whatever um, ends up happening with Real and, and Purdy down the road. Well I think it'd be important for people to remember not to freak out say if Real does make some decision because you're seeing this around the country I mean Clemson yeah. dealt with it Trevor Lawrence starts as a true freshman Kelly Bryan and someone else left and they were down to basically Trevor Lawrence and, and look what happened to both those guys yeah. Hunter Johnson was the other one yeah and so it's just like it's tough back of the worst offense in the history of power five football <laughs> it's tough and it happened with Purdy you know yeah. Purdy gets that job and Zeb Noland and Devin Moore leave now Real Mitchell has to make a decision if you're Real you got to think about it in terms of you're still going to be the number two guy next year and I think the biggest key with Real is how open is he to being used in other ways if he's not open to being used uh, as a receiver or as a offensive weapon which we've seen he could be capable of doing this year um then maybe it is better for him to leave and because that quarterback thing is not probably going to open unless right. Brock gets hurt. But if he's willing to be used in multiple ways and quarterback, then I think it's worth staying because I think Iowa State would like to use him in other ways. Well, I'm, I maintain, too, that you, no one should be mad at Real in that situation. Like, that's no. him doing what he thinks best for him. And I don't think you can even be mad at the coaches because when you've got a guy like Brock that's putting up the numbers that he is, I mean, it's hard for – It's nobody's fault. It's no, just, it's nobody's just, fault. Like, that's just the way that the game yeah. is now. Mm-hmm. That's how it works out sometimes. Is It's hard to – I think it would be one of the more understandable decisions that, that a, a player could make just given, you know, what happened. I mean, he was recruited first, then Purdy comes in. Purdy gets the shot against Oklahoma State and the, and the rest is history. So, uh, yeah, whatever he decides, I think people um, should or would understand. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, from Nathaniel, what's the best Christmas gift you've ever received? Oh, man. That's a good one. I'm thinking back to when I was a kid now. Um, probably, I don't know. I was th- one, one year, I th- it might have been when I was um, – eight or nine my brother and I got this old western play set and uh, he, he got it was like three different levels there was a saloon and then there was like uh, you know apartment levels and stuff and there were little action figures and we would play with that I just remember it because it was so I think big. I had one of those too it was so I big. think I spent a lot of time in the saloon maybe that yeah, should have been a sign yeah it was so <laughs> it was so big that I just remember us being really pumped about it and we had it all set up in the basement and we would go down and, and play with that and um, there was a pirate ship version that we had one year too so probably that kind of stuff is what sticks out what about you yeah i, I can't remember what it's called what's the what's those thing foosball table oh yeah yeah, yeah i remember okay. getting a foosball table table and it was wrapped up and it was against the wall so it's just huge and i didn't know what it was whatever so that was pretty that that one comes to mind so it must have been memorable i got hey, a, this course light that you brought me. oh that, yeah <laughs> i'm glad that that's up there on your rankings uh mine is by far i got uh and i probably would have been like eight years old i got a PlayStation 2 uh, with NCAA football 2003 with Joey Harrington on the cover. Oh, and it was, that, uh, that's the sweet spot. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I I don't think I ever needed to get another Christmas gift to know that I, I would be happy for all Christmases. Yeah, you were well taken care of with yeah. that one. My, my grandma once got me um, 
Grand Theft Auto for Christmas. <laughs> and she was like, um, she probably had no idea. She was like, she like, this isn't, she I think said to my mom, that's not violent, right? He's just driving. I was like, yeah, it's just <laughs> driving cars. <laughs> it teaches you how to drive. <laughs> uh, that's anyone who, this is a complete side note. Anybody who like tries to drive normal on Grand Theft Auto is probably a psychopath, like a sociopath. <laughs> We're stopping the stoplights. Yeah, you're stopping at the stoplights and like thinking, I'm not going to hit people. I'm not going to do anything wrong while I drive this car. Yeah, if you don't drive like a madman, you're not playing the game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, from Brett, he says, a co-worker who is a Kansas State grad, so I feel like this question probably is already coming from a... An interesting place has bet me that Iowa State will lose by more than twenty nine points. How much money would you put on this? One hundred dollars, one thousand dollars, your car? Probably my car. I yeah, I'd put a lot of money on that. Twenty nine is. Uh, they haven't lost by that much since what that West Virginia game? Yeah, I don't. Uh, and I think even that they didn't lose by. This is this points. team is too good to lose by that many points. Yeah, Notre Dame's a good team. This is just a salty Kansas State fan. That's yeah. what I'm gonna go. Notre Dame's a good team, but like, where would you compare? Which couple teams would you compare to say Notre Dame? I mean, this Baylor. is a, this is a third top twenty offense they've faced. They faced uh, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Texas were all the top twenty scoring offenses, uh, and Notre Dame's in that group. So I mean, FPI. I haven't looked at the FPI, but like I would say, has like a thirty three percent chance to beat Notre Dame according to FPI. SP Plus gives them a fifty eight percent chance to win. Those numbers to me show that Iowa State's in the same territory, and so it's hard for me to see them. Even losing by, I mean, what, what's the most you could even see them losing by? Two touchdowns, probably. Yeah. I can't see more than seven. That's no, what I kind of think, but even 17. That's the no, most. Yeah, like, that no, I they, I, it's hard to imagine them losing by more than 17. I, I think it would have to be some sort of like Armageddon yeah. situation where you turn it over like really, really quick and Notre Dame goes and capitalizes. I just don't see. Right, it'd have to be a disaster. Yeah, it, it would just have to be a debacle. It'd be more of a debacle than the Kansas State game was, right. where they return the opening kickoff. I, I just don't see it getting that bad. I think they figure out ways to minimize some of the damage, even if they do turn the ball. They, I don't think it's as, as disastrous as that scenario. They gave up 42 points to Oklahoma, one of the best offenses in the country. And so, like, say that, say the most they're going to give up is 42. But they still scored 41. And they still so. scored 41. But, like, say, yeah. let's say they mostly give up is 42 type of, you know, 42 points, which is probably not a very good defensive showing i still think they you can got, score 20 yeah i think yeah. they can score so yeah i don't know that <laughs> i like i said yeah we all said i'd put a lot of money on that to that they will not lose by 29 points uh from farmer matt i read this one before uh in the 1990 christmas movie home alone kevin McAllister must defend his home from a uh a duo known as the wet bandits if you had to choose one person you know to rob homes with on christmas who would you choose and what would your calling card be Ooh, I'm gonna need a second here. Um, Gosh, man, I would choose. I think I would probably choose Chris Williams <laughs> because I know that he would be like meticulously planning out what the what the plans would be for these robberies. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would just go with Alex, and he could go around to the front door and talk to people, and I could I could sneak in the back door and, and do it that way. Don't get any don't, If you guys me. showed up at my, uh, my house and tried to rob me, I'd probably just tell you to go home. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. Like, you guys can either just go home or I'm going to call the police. Like, it's up to you. I'm not going to – we're not going to do this right now. Can I make a bad joke? Yeah. No. Okay. Albert Gary. Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Simon asks, what's it like cheering on Alan Lazard with the – oh, man. Screw off, Simon. With the NFC champion – with the NFC champions. No, I'm not answering that. We can all feel that pain. Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about that. It was a disaster on Monday night. But, uh, yeah, that's all the questions. I – 
I can't believe you did that. <laughs> hey, he played. He, he played big role even after that. So, if nothing else, I would want to pick someone that I know would be really big and scary. Like I'm big, but I'm not big and scary. No, you know? I'm not very menacing. Like David Irving, maybe. I feel like David Irving could show up at a house and. Well, he had the stop sign. Yeah. At the Visha riot. Well, maybe maybe that would be our calling card. Is we we leave a stop sign in everybody's house. That we rap. The B- Visha Bandits. Yeah, the Visha Bandits. <laughs> There's still a Home Alone uh, documentary thing on Netflix I need to watch about yeah. the making of Home Alone. Yeah, what is it? The movies that made us? Yeah. Have you ever watched The Toys That Made Us? No, I haven't. I did watch the movies that made us, though. They filmed basically all of Home Alone in a high school gym. The whole movie? Yeah, they built sets of like that. They they had the actual Isn't the house, house like in Illinois or something. Yeah, they yeah. they filmed it in a high school gym in Illinois, but they went and filmed outside the house and stuff. But basically, the interior of the house was all filmed in a high school gym on the sets they built. Wow, I'm we're, we're a, learning stuff here on the Cycle Fan Podcast. You need to check it out. It's a, it's a good show, and then it, they have one about Die Hard yeah. as well. So there, some good. They, there's good like movies. four of them. Yeah. I remember I looked at it, and as Home Alone was the only one that I was like, yeah, I really need to see that. But if you you guys should watch Toys That Made Us, that was really good too. Talk about the Ninja Turtles. Oh, there you go. I'm sold. Uh, yeah, <laughs> ten, the the Ninja Turtles and then Power Rangers. I don't know what more you ever need to know. Then you can learn all about those. Uh, but yeah, thanks guys. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me on. Thanks, Jared. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, now go back and spend time with your families and stop thinking about Iowa State sports because you need to be like normal people, not like us. <laughs> right. Thanks for listening, everybody.